0: Hello and welcome to the True Purpose podcast. My name is Will Stewart and I'm the founder of True Purpose Enterprises. We are a movement created to empower and promote future-proof businesses that drive both happiness and success. On this podcast, our conversations will explore what it means to lead with true purpose and why this is necessary for people, planet and most crucially, profit. If you like inspiring stories of resilience, purpose, happiness and biscuits, then your ears are in the right place. So, this week's guest is someone i followed on The Linkster for a long time. He is telling a beautiful story built on purpose, kindness, love, and all of the other nice, squishy things in life. The future is going to be massive for both his business and his personal brand. He's really cool. If you read interviews, he's incredibly articulate and authentic, and it's hugely inspirational. So we'll see if he follows that pattern today. He tells the truth. He runs an incredible business, which has you know, follower on the outside can look perfect, and it's very much not uh stuff goes wrong constantly, and I want to explore that soon. But he manages to share that side of the journey too, which is really, really important. He's a rubbish salesman, and if you don't believe me, you can check out his LinkedIn profile. He created hoodies for the homeless on a sabbatical, which has ridiculous similarities to Something I did back in my Woolies days with hot water bottles. So uh, maybe he's just a thief. Maybe he stole my idea. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant project. He launched a business in a pandemic. Now that is a ridiculous idea that very few people will ever do again. And I think when history looks back on the 2020s, I'm sure Unplugged will be featuring in business textbooks. So guests like today's superhero a why I started this podcast to highlight leaders who are true purpose through and through. He's sort of a cross between a Buddhist monk, Yoda, and Stephen Bartlett, so this conversation is going to be fun, educational, I'm sure, so it is a huge honour to welcome the co-founder and CEO of Unplugged, Hector Hughes. Will, great to be here, it's a very, very generous intro, and apart from the rubber salesman, I'm not sure I can can live up to all of that, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Wicked, wicked. So this is one of our launch episodes for season two, so... Obviously, as a being a podcaster yourself, you know, first episodes are really, they've got to be entertaining. There's a lot of pressure on this. You've got to really blow the audience away. Right? <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. When I was researching you and looking at what you've done, I've got tons and tons of questions I want to ask. So just going to jump straight in at the start with the most obvious question, you know, what? what is unplugged? For sure. So Unplugged, very simply, we provide
1: digital detoxes at off-grid cabins in nature. So we have currently have 20 cabins across the UK, and people go either by themselves or within a couple. for Three nights upon arrival at the cabin, you literally padlock your phone in a box. We give you a map, a Nokia, and a Polaroid camera, and, and leave you to it, and that's it. Do you give
0: them a charger for the Nokia, or you just got to use your battery wisely? We, we do. There's some hidden plugs to charge the Nokia. <laughs> it, it's incredible, actually, because Jen, who works my side on the podcast, she was basically, when we were talking about getting you on the podcast, she's on the on your website booking it and telling me how amazing this thing is. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is Hector who's coming on the podcast. I did my own intro for it. So you, you basically dump old chipping containers in the woods add Fancy Hand Wash and tell everyone online how good it is for your mental health. That was my my summary. That's it. we got we,
1: what's been called Butlins for Millennials, which is one of the, I don't know if you ever run Facebook <laughs> ads versus Instagram ads. On Instagram ads, you get the loveliest comments about how amazing everything is and how excited everyone is. And on Facebook, you just get ripped to shreds. So it's a lot of that. It's a lot of, good day. i think though
0: the, one of my favorite things about your business is the haters the fact that there's people that are so <laughs> angry that, yeah and, and i think you know i look at it it's like i want to do it i'm desperate to do it just got to find the time type thing because you can see how valuable it is and if you're running a business and you've got family and all these other things like a digital detox you know it's almost like so obvious now and when you look at long-term trends like the future of your business is massive this is a It's only going to go one way, especially if you think about kids today. So I've got seven-year-old twins and everything in their life is recorded. And I think in the future, they will reject that. They will be a generation that like, I don't want everything recorded, right? They don't want to have, you know, being attached to screens. I think when they get older, the value of something that you're doing, you know, as these cabins evolve, I think will be more and more valuable. And so, you know, the business is built on purpose and... It's future-proof because it is a massive trend. How do you do it all? How do you do all of this business and, and run everything and do a podcast and all these sorts of things?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, the short answer is I'm, I'm fairly unplugged myself, so I, I do try and practice what I preach. But But it's hard. It's like I don't want to sit here and say any business is easy because they are all just incredibly difficult. You know what it's like. But... For me, we, we all have different style of working, and I am really just like not like, that good at doing the work myself. Like, I'm, I'm quite a lazy worker, I'm pretty dyslexic. Like, you give me a bit of work to do, I won't do a very good job of it. So, I actually have a really easy time delegating. Like, I because fundamentally, I'm like, well, this person's probably gonna do a better job than me. So, you know, I'm here to support if, if you need me, but you run with it. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the secret to any business is just surrounding yourself with great people who could yeah. make the magic happen. So everything you see for Unplugged is, is not me now, but you know I'm, I'm kind of somewhere supporting. Yeah. How many do you have in your team now? So we're 11, and that's six in the UK, and then five remote. So we have
0: kind of customer support, finance, uh, remote, and then six people here. And then you, I mean, yeah, the, always the answer of, you know, how do you do it all when you run a business is always you have this incredible team. What are the challenges then? You, you mentioned you're very good at delegating. What are the challenges about working for you then for that team? You know, if you're delegating everything, how do they how do they find that, or how does that work for them? Well, I'll, there's the answer I'll give you enough, or I'll tell you something different? But uh, I'm fundamentally, I'm very hands off and
1: easy going, probably to a fault. So, you know, I just. I'm um, not really a details person, never get angry at anything. So it's very much like, if you need me, I can help. But otherwise, you just crack on and, and, and let me know what you need. So, I mean, pros and cons. Like, I'm probably not great. I've never been a great manager. So if you want to, like, manage and really, like, uh, coach people through stuff and set targets and all that kind of stuff. Like when, when we hired had a head of marketing, he's fantastic, Grace, uh, a year and a half ago, she was, like, about a month in, she was like, yeah, you know, i need you to make me a budget and i'm like what do you mean why do you need a budget like what is what do you need it for and, and so <laughs> i begrudgingly made one and haven't haven't made one since but it's like that that's very much my my management style yeah. it's just kind of we'll chat about stuff and you know i obviously like to have an opinion on things and um bat around ideas but fundamentally what i really love is just finding great people who i completely trust again have a very easy time trusting people uh, which probably get me in trouble at some point in my life, but for now it seems to be working. It's a better way of
0: living life, trusting people and thinking they're <coughs> good than being suspicious.
1: 100%. I think that there's the kind of cost of it's like you know if you're worried that someone is going to screw you over, then you take that cost to worry into every single interaction, and then the one time you know you manage to. And kind of stops someone screwing over you. Like, oh, it was worth you know these years of worry and, and kind of taking that cost. So, just not worrying about. it. Ironically, I think you're actually more likely to fall out with people to you know ha- have trust go wrong if you don't trust because people reciprocate. You know if they feel like you yeah. trust them no matter what, then they reciprocate. So yeah, i I really think that that makes life a lot easier.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned about you know your marketing the director asking for a budget and. Good people want responsibility and they want to be empowered and they want control. And most businesses and most business leaders don't give them any of that. And you're obviously at the complete other end of the extreme, which is great because most people want that. I think there's a big question of, you know, people want something without really knowing what it means. If you turn up in a business, that's like, yeah, what's the marketing budget? So you just got to work it out or find your way and take responsibility it's a big step up and that's not right for lots of people so you know the key in a business like yours I mean I'm you know similar in fact I had exactly the same conversation with my marketing director where it's like well there isn't a budget I I don't know what do you want to do you know the whole point of you know employing people and getting them to tell you what to do right I think the challenge we found is it's a lot of responsibility and people you know, as a leader, what you need to provide is that you're going into the fire. I've got the hose. I'm always here. You know, if you give them that assurance that you'll back them, and mistakes are okay, that's a rare thing in business, right? I bet mistakes. Mistakes happen all the time, but I bet mistakes in your business, genuine ones, are treated the right way, right? Someone fucked up. You know, it is what it is. So that sort of responsibility and and those sorts of things that are different in probably your business to most most other businesses.
1: Yeah, I think what you touched on there about the mistakes as well is is super important because, I mean, as you know, it was previously a a tech startup and we really got the culture wrong. And one of the big things is we lost psychological safety. So it just came to a place where failures, it was all about whose fault is it? And it became, you know, that was the exercise. And so all the mental energy went into figuring out who is the blame. Of course, there's no answer of who is to blame. You know, it's a moot point. But the question should be, like, what's the best path forward, you know? So one, one thing I've really found useful in business and life is I just assume that everything's my fault. So that's my, like, going assumption into every situation. So, you know, the deadline that we need to hit on the new website, which I'm not doing any work on, slips. I just assume that's my fault, you know? Because it kind of is. Like, it's I could have said more. Or, and I think whenever we react badly to something happening, it's not that that thing has happened, that, you know, if, if something is a month late, It's a month late, like it doesn't change much. It's that it it hits our insecurities. So it is a month late, but let's say in that situation, I'm trying to close the funding and I have not done a good enough job of closing that funding yet. Then really, if there's any anger in me, it's that I haven't done my job and now there's something else that might make my job a bit harder. You know, So it's like the insecurity in me that brings about the anger. So I think it's just recognizing that and then just taking that mindset because then whenever anyone tells you any problems, is much easier to just go to them, okay, well, why don't we try this or blah, 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 you know, rather than, no, you shouldn't yeah. have done that, blah, blah, blah. blah. So I, I think that is, is really important as well.
0: Yeah, in your previous startup business, yeah, you've spoken about the culture change. So losing that sort of team ethic and being more finger blamey, you know, which is very standard in practically every business and any big corporates. How are you going to, so you're scaling, right? You've got 20 cabins, you know, it's going to get bigger. You've got Team 11, it's going to get bigger. You know, you get more attention. It's a, as I said, it's a, this isn't a sort of a trend. I think this is a sort of revolution of how humans want to be away from stuff. Everyone likes to walk in the woods or a lot of people. So this sort of movement is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in scale. And your leadership style is very much empower the team and let them do it. So as you go from, say, 11 to 20 to 50, you know, people and 20 to 50 to 100 cabins or whatever international, how are you going to maintain that culture and everything you've got that's special as this smaller tribe sort of group of people? Because you've seen the change and when it goes wrong, it, it doesn't work and things need a reset. So how would you maintain that culture or not change that culture as you scale?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think I think cultures inevitably change with scale, so it will morph in many different ways, and you know, it gets exponentially harder the more people you have in. Because fundamentally, we have a very passionate, excited group of people now. But you know, when you're hiring junior people as your seventy-third hire, it's a little bit harder to keep that standard every time. But recruitment hiring is just super important. It's just having real standards there, and I think it's on hiring the person not the CV you know so it's hiring character it's really just getting that right and it's very tempting we've actually hired really slow so I mean 11 and we've just kind of grown a bit now so we're probably going to double the number of cabins in maybe the next six months so so we're kind of ready for that but you know for a year it was me and Ben Then we hired a head of operations and then it was another you know six months with just the three of us and so, so we've really kind of grown slow because at the previous start we just hired everyone and you know sorts of random people and and it's very hard to build a culture then so i think yeah who you bring in is very important and just really looking at characters to things like intellectual humility it's like is this a person who is going to be interested in like what truth is rather than how they are perceived and who's right and all of this kind of thing and then i think you know there's obviously leading by examples the kind of classic so if we can just kind of continue to do that. I do think values are really important. It's actually not something like we don't have for values. And I think it, it almost gets a bit kind of cliche and woo-woo in the startup world. But I think that done well is really important. So that's very much on my bucket list. Again, we're probably at a size now where we're okay, but especially going forward. And then I think the other big one is like a lot of my job CEOing is as someone described it to me the other day where you're looking at the company as an organism and you, you're basically always trying to assess like is the organism healthy you know so like are there any issues Like, is there anywhere where there's like resentment or you know something go wrong and then my job is to go in and fix that you know and go in and sort that out so it's just like keeping finger on the pulse with the communications you know like how we're talking to each other actually just you know one-on-ones are great so it's really just like figuring out the organization and yeah. that's it i mean it's, a company is just a group of people so it's really just about like assessing that group of people bringing the right people on, empowering the people who are there. And and that's it really. And I I think, you know, the name of your podcast says it all and everything you believe in, I know. But like having a strong purpose really helps culture. So like fundamentally, we're a very mission driven company. And yeah, you obviously
0: know that very well. Yeah. And so basically how you recruit and, you know, recruiting the human and all their qualities rather than the CV, that's a massive one you also recognize there are challenges and changes to culture. It's so different, you know, when it was just the two of you versus four people, five people, and then 10 people, it will change. It's how you maintain those, those bits. And and you picked it up there about, you know, purpose feeds culture. So, you know, where did you, you know, you've got purpose-led business, you know, why have you, and what was maybe your, was there an earliest memory of purpose or an earliest influence where Something happened, and you were like, "I must do something purposely."
1: No, you know, I've never. It's never been a goal to do something purposely, and so it, it's much more come from a place of because I think, yeah, a lot of people, it's like very conscious. I want to make a difference in the world. I want to do a meaningful business. Like that, that is the goal, and then it's going out looking for that. With me, yeah. it was like I so started this business at twenty five, and and up until then, I think I just like. I've always been like an optimist, so always kind of been somewhat happy. But I, I, I was definitely there were eras in my life where I wasn't happy, especially kind of 15 to 25. It was like drinking a lot, going out a lot, and I just developed a real kind of dissatisfaction with life. And then it was getting into like meditation and, and reading, etc. And, and then going to the silent retreat. And in meditation, what they talk about is insight by experience. So sitting down on the mat and even just focusing on your breath for half an hour, then that what you're experiencing there then gives you the insight, gives you the wisdom. And I think it was going through that process, doing the silent retreat and having such a it really was a transformative experience. Like that insight off the back of that made this business just really obvious. It was just like, oh, this is an obvious business to do. So like it wasn't a very conscious effort. I'd heard about cabins, me and Ben obviously went and talked about it. I had read a couple of books about digital detoxing. Then one day the idea just, just popped up, as ideas can do. And it was like, oh yeah, that, that makes total sense. And then I've never once questioned whether this is the right thing to be working on. And I just like deeply feel it, feel it inside me.
0: Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's funny how you've just explained that sort of feeling in that if your business is purpose led, it will feel different. The work will feel different. You know, yes, we have to make money because otherwise there is no business. But if you're doing it for a greater purpose, which you know is either changing something for the positive or you know, donating to charities that will change something for a more positive way, it just makes work more meaningful. And I think that then gives everyone an element of purpose and the business a purpose and generally makes people happy. We have a question like, Does purpose make you happy? And everyone sort of says yes eventually. But I know you know it's more nuanced than that. You know, it is... Your team happy, would you say? And and is that because of the purpose, or is it because of the culture, or or all of those elements?
1: Yeah, I think I think both. They, They are the culture is really great. Like the team as a unit, especially Ben and I obviously get on well with them. But like the ones we have in London, there's four plus Ben and I, and those four get on really, really well, which is really amazing to see and just work so well together. And so I mean, it just makes coming to work a joy. And I think it's both. I think it's like. You know, everyone genuinely likes each other, just like nice people, which I think makes a huge yeah. difference. And again, we've worked really hard just to make sure that anytime any misunderstanding, resentment, etc. does crop up, that that's dealt with. So, so you know, try and keep the organization as free as that as possible. But yeah, the purpose makes a huge difference. You know, it, like, it's even nice, like when someone on the team will be, oh, yeah, back over Christmas, everyone was saying to me, how much they wanted to spend time off their phone and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's just very feel good, you know, when you've got your family being like, oh my God, yeah, I, I want to spend a little time off my phone. And obviously that everyone yeah. on the team gets that benefit as well. So I think it's, startups are hard enough as it is. You don't also need that question of like, am I doing the right thing? You know, like I speak to a few people who have very successful, you know, like B2B fintech companies. And they're like, oh, I'm just wondering, you know, you know, do I want to be selling accounting software my whole life type thing? So I think it's it's also just removing that, you know, it's like removing that extra thing to have to worry about. And, uh, yeah, there's just so much good and just just like good energy, for lack of a better phrase, that comes off the back of it. Yeah, it, and it's brilliant.
0: When you look at the culture and you look at Gen A's coming into, you know, when they become decision makers a lot more, so really only five to, five to ten years, your purpose is becoming really really important on their decision tree and equally you know where does talent want to work for a place that has the culture and the energy and the purpose and all the things so that's why I always sort of think if you build purpose central to your business you're future proofing it beyond you know being in the right industry which I think you are as well tell me about the I I remember reading the post but the dumped cabin story because I know (laughs) it's fascinating and it's It was a real moment of truth for you. And I know you've told it before, but, you know, I just think it's fascinating for the audience.
1: Yeah, well, it's just, I mean, you know, it was just a string of, from ordering the first cabin, just everything goes wrong all the time with every startup. It's remarkable. So we finally got this cabin, which at the time just felt like the biggest issue, you know, it was, oh my God, our, our cabin's a month delayed. And now it's just, it doesn't matter at all. And uh, that actually turned out to be perfect timing. So we got it in June, which is and um, you know, two or three weeks later, the government lifted the first lockdown after COVID. And so it was perfect yeah. timing to launch after that. So we finally got this cabin on the way. The first cabin was built by a Swedish company in Latvia, but we've since moved it to the, to the UK. So it came on the back of a lorry and you know, very excited. First thing coming. And it had to go across a field, which is about 400 meters or so to get to the spot where it's going. And, I'd spoken to a few lorry companies and they'd all been like, No, I'm not gonna drive across the field, like you need to lay a road. Uh, and I was like, No, I can't you can't lay a road, like it's ridiculous. So look for the prices and it costs like ten grand or something. And so obviously start up with absolutely no money, so we're like, no, we just can't do that. It's not, it's not feasible. Finally found a lorry company I was like, Yeah, we can drive it across, that's fine. So I mean in the middle of the summer, it was like really hot, so the, the ground was hard, but it was an arable field. So I can understand why a big lorry yeah, they're basically worried they're gonna sink in there. So Finally, this lorry turns up after Latvia. me and Ben both go up to see it. I think it was drizzling a bit of the day, as you can maybe see from that picture. And the lorry driver took one look at the field, and he's like, no way, man, I'm not going across there. And we just thought, what, what can we do? And I've never felt so helpless. So, so he then just like put the cabin down beside the road. Um, I've never felt so helpless as to like realising how little you can do, because you've got this what, five or six-ton cabin. And it just needs to go over there. It's, like, it's not that far, but there's literally nothing we can do. Like, I can't pick it up and carry it. So, we, yeah, we were very crestfallen. We drove back to London. It was like, we just got to figure out how to get this cross. So I looked at roads. It was actually a kind of plastic road that was cheaper, so it was maybe two and a half grand or something. Then the next day, they charged an extra few hundred quid for, for laying the road themselves, which maybe we should have done, but we were trying to save money at the time as well. Now, we'll just lay it. Yeah. So they turned up with stacks and stacks of, of plastic road and we had me, Ben, Ben's dad, Ben's partner, a guy called Rich Mills who cycled, he'd just been following our journey. And he cycled from Clapham to this is this is like up near Saffron World and near Cambridge basically. Too. So he yeah, yeah. all the way to come and help with this. One of Ben's mates as well. So it was yeah you know, what, six or seven of us and we spent we probably spent about six hours laying the road there and, and taking it back yeah. <laughs> Got the lorry back, drove it across and, and finally got the cabin into place. So yeah, I mean it's just it's just I, I think I posted that because it just looks so easy on social media, like every startup journey, and I know there'll be so many founders right now going through that kind of thing with their early stage startup, and it just feels like so insurmountable that all, all these all these challenges just feel kind of
0: fatal almost. and
1: yeah, this just part of the process.
0: Yeah. that So that was quite a few years ago. I'm sure at the time you were like, nothing can ever be worse than this. Whereas now that probably <laughs> wouldn't even make your top 100 bad <laughs> things <laughs> in startup land, right? So obviously you guys turned up, lorry driver's like, yeah, I'm off mate. You know, at that moment where you're in that real, oh my God, this is the dream and it's, you know, dumped in the wrong place. How did you feel at that time? And how did you coach yourself out of it? What, it was obviously valuable having the two of you there, but what was the feeling? And it was there. Oh, okay. This isn't the right thing to do. Or did you doubt yourself at all at that time or, or not? And how did you get through it? If you did?
1: No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think it was, you know, you got it that far. We'd kind of, again, we'd already crossed a few hurdles to get to that point. And fundamentally, Ben and I are both very optimistic. I think, you know, I think anyone can start a business, but I do think it helps massively if you're an optimist because there are, you know, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And there's a million things to be pessimistic about and you just you just need to have that naive optimism. I think we were very much in that mindset that like we've been building for a few months and it was just a case of like whatever happens, it's like all right, how do we solve this? How do we solve this, you know? So you kind of build up momentum in that. So like if you just hadn't done anything to start a business at all, and then you put them in that situation so oh my god what, what do we need to do but actually if you had a few months of just trying to run through walls then it's just another kind of hurdle you know, we got it all the way from latvia so um, i'm sure you know we, we weren't too worried about getting it over the last 400 weeks
0: <laughs> yeah and you can laugh about it and it's good content now. it's a good story yeah i was, I
1: was like, i'll make a great linkedin post one day <laughs>
0: yeah one day (laughs) okay think about today's massive problem and then you can think one day this will make a great linkedin post about how i got through a tough time right is running a business addictive uh it is
1: yeah for sure for a certain type of person i think it's a lifestyle choice and i really think it suits some people and I, i really think it's not for everyone and some people uh, like there's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of uncertainty. Again, I think optimism is great because for this particular job, because it helps you deal with uncertainty, you know. I think optimism probably makes you a bad venture capitalist, but it probably makes you a good founder, you know. So <laughs> I think it is addictive, yeah. I mean I love it. I think I feel so fulfilled and like this is exactly what I was put on this earth to do, which I think is you know, just just nice. You know? Yeah, just Good to good to have that in my life I think and then you know what is addictive is the the traction like it's addictive seeing the sales coming
0: yeah I mean it should be so you went on this this silent retreat so you did you did one previously and then one quite recently or have you just done one of these yeah so one
1: previously before the business which was it's called intro to Buddhism 10 days in the Himalayas and then I did one in March of last year which was the Vipassana which is the kind of very intense 10 a day meditating which was in Herefordshire so a bit close to home.
0: Wow and you're in obviously silent retreat name what it says on the tin. so you're basically silent for 10 days and detoxing is that roughly what it is?
1: Yeah, so they were a similar format, but really quite different mechanics. So the one in the Himalayas is, is half meditation, half Buddhist philosophy. So you're silent. Half of the day is Buddhist teaching, so, so you, you know, you're learning about Buddhism, and half of the day you're sat meditating. The Vipassana is just meditation. So you're spending eight or nine hours a day sat on a cushion, focusing on
0: your breath, wow. focusing on your body. Wow. I, 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 I'm a fan of meditation. I think it's one of my saviors for getting through a lot of stuff but it's really hard it's really hard to get the discipline into your day to do it and it's hard when you're doing it you know the distractions and you know you've got so much going on but it's the only way I, I feel I can sort of cleanse my I don't know you know unclutter my brain cleanse my brain to try and allow me to focus on what needs to get done and I think as a founder and a, you know if you've got a young family and all these other things going on as many people do it's you've got to try and or what meditation gives me is the clarity to know what I need to focus on and I can only get that from meditation but the idea of doing it for 10 days in a row I, I don't know I don't know where that could go Lucky, luckily or maybe unluckily I don't have 10 days to, to be able <laughs> to do it but it might have been it must have been an incredible experience because it's, well, just understand, it's a really valuable part of my life and I think lots of other people as well. For sure,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll be, I'll be transparent. So that one in particular last year, I had a lot of health stuff going on at the time. So I've had a couple of years of autoimmune issues and actually finally got a diagnosis in December, which is a leaky gut. So I'm on a very extreme diet at the moment to fix that. Okay. That has shown up in lots of different ways. But, but last year it showed up with, just weeks of feeling rough and nauseous, like hungover. And I had that for the whole Vipassana. So it was like 10 hours a day and I was feeling like shit. So I came out of it feeling pretty shaken up. So I'd I'd love to go and do it again. Still like the wisdom you learn, et cetera, has kind of stayed with me. So I was still very glad I did it and a fantastic experience. But yeah, I just want to get this health stuff ticked off. So I think when you're not fully healthy, then that just puts a damper on everything else. So it's yeah. last year I yeah, felt like was kind of playing on defence all year. So I'm, I'm excited to get on the front foot again.
0: Yeah. And a big part of the philosophy that I loved, which you've spoken about before, is attachment and you know not attaching happiness to things or other things and in taking that full responsibility. You know, you are in charge of it. What For you, is there anything you're not able to unattach from or attach from? what do you find difficult because you know we all have addictions and things going on like i you know with coffee for example that's become a real thing for me and i'm you're very into it but i know in full buddhist philosophy and those sorts of things unattaching everything or giving up your addictions and that side of things is vital to enlightenment and and contentment
1: yeah it's a good question i mean i I have kind of unattached at various times and reattached to to pretty much everything so there's been no constant but i i'm not someone who has a lot of willpower like i'm quite kind of i always have a real problem with alcohol and so on because i just i'm a real yes man so i just never say no so i i did a decade and it just you know a lot of silly nights and that was a real real like negative in my life it really kind of set me back and then a couple of weeks after starting the business i watched a small youtube video Joe Rogan clip, which is that Nikki Glass, is a comedian, uh, read this book seven years ago. She hasn't drunk since. and The book is called Stop Drinking Now. And I just had a really big couple of weeks. And I was like, you know what, actually, this kind of sounds good. <laughs> and I read the book and completely stopped. And so that was, that was four years ago. Uh, but then your advice has just changed. I mean, since then, I've had at times an unhealthy relationship with food, which actually came from starting fasting. So as soon as you start fasting, I found that it made me like overeat at other times, etc. And then, you know, coffee at various points. So, I mean, at the moment, because of this health stuff, I'm on a very extreme diet, which has cut out basically everything. So, I'm, I was eating mostly plants, but controversially, it's actually mostly meat now. So, it's grass-fed meat, wild fish, and water, and a bit of fruit. I'm now not drinking coffee, you know. So, I think it's healthy to just practice detachment stuff. that was in a, a relationship until two or four months ago and left that and amazing, really grateful I spent those couple of years with her and she's wonderful, but didn't think we were quite right for each other. So I think it's it's good to kind of challenge our identities. And obviously the, the big one there is is unplugged, right? Like so much of my identity is is unplugged. I, I obviously completely agree with you that, that we have a, a long and very successful future ahead of us, but what if that did go tomorrow, right? I think it's also just making peace with that. I really love the idea of meditating on death. It sounds very morbid. Like it's a very powerful thing. So both the retreats actually, there were kind of moments where you, you think about the fact that you will die and kind of make peace with that. And I think through that lens, nothing else matters. Yeah. It's like in the end I'll die and all of this will go.
0: Well, um, we're all going to die eventually. Right. And I think most people live without that knowledge at all, or we hide away from it because we don't want to think about x is awful right and you don't want to be sat at the dinner table next to someone who's going, i've been meditating about death should we chat about that right it's just one of those things but yeah i mean you know when you've spoken about attachment and things like that before and getting comfortable with those sorts of things and you know then applying that to business and leadership and culture and building that as a you know there's a lot of those elements in there that are just fascinating for leadership for other people to come and work in an environment like that and being able to have really open conversations. Being able to talk about anything is a very inclusive thing, and inclusivity is the answer to everything. Yeah, you know, we've all got our own shit going on, our own weird things, whatever. But if we're inclusive and we're open and the culture of work is like that, and the business you're working for is giving you that, that's a really positive thing where everyone is welcome, right? It's quite a simple you know, hippie, I guess, idea, but it's clearly better. It's clearly better for everyone. And I think it's those sorts of concepts in you know, in business and in leadership, in leaders in business, you just don't see those. You don't see those in the big corporate world. You don't see those very often in businesses. And I think part of why I want to do the podcast is to drive focus on those sorts of people because it is better. And when people find out about it or learn about it, People join us, they learn about our culture and we, you know, we do things this way. They really like it and they tell other people because it's better. And then things start to change, right? It's been fascinating. I've loved it. You know, one question which, you know, on your diet now, which may not quite work, but what is your favorite biscuit and why?
1: <laughs> I do love a, um, I can't remember what they're called, but they don't love them that much clearly, but the, the ginger nuts or whatever they are. Oh, the crunchy. original ginger nut. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just because very unpretentious and a classic,
0: an unpretentious classic and dunkable. There's a good dunkability. It's, on a, it. it's a good I dunking biscuit. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And quite yeah. unique. I think actually, at job quite well. It's quite unique biscuit. <laughs> Not for everyone, but people that like them, they'll work through a packet of those. <laughs> they'll go through the whole packet. couple of <laughs> cups of tea, do the whole lot, mate. Thank you very, very much for for joining us today. It's been fascinating and. Yeah, everything I hoped I would get through and ask you about and, and learn about. So thank you very much.
1: No, not at all. It's been such a pleasure to meet and talk for the first time. And Yeah, really honoured to be on here and love everything you do as well. So thank you so much for
0: At the True Purpose podcast, we are building a community of purpose-led leaders who want to be part of the revolution to a true purpose-led economy through inspiring every professional to think more purposely. So humans that listen to this podcast, thank you. You're helping build a more purposeful business future. We love hearing your feedback and reviews do make a big difference. It's going to take us years, maybe decades to get there, but change is happening. Thank you.